0: All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming out for the podcast and set. (laughs) Yeah. This week, of course, my guest is Mr. Craig Kikowski. Thanks, Miles. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) You've got such a radio voice. Uh, That's right. That's right. Uh, Now, I've known you for, uh, let's see, what? 25 years maybe uh just about close to 25 years close to 25 years
1: i started i moved to chicago in february of 92 okay
0: uh that's right let's see so well, 24 I was, years ago 24 years ago so i've known you for 24 years let's and say. change and some change uh, and you were out of io i mean you, that, that that wasn't where you first started doing improv that I started you in call. college. You started in college. I
1: went to the College of William and Mary, Williamsburg, Virginia. All right. <laughs> yeah? Really? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. We actually did Harold in college. Um, and I think this was a time where there probably was not a lot of college improv. There's probably more than I knew about, but... Uh, And now, like, middle schools have improv groups. (laughs) That's true. Every high school does, and every college has multiple, you know, teams. But uh, we were a group. We had been trained in one three-hour workshop by a group from Yale, like, five years before I even got to school. And that group had been trained in a three-hour workshop by Sharna in, like, 1985. Right. So we were doing a version of Harold that dated to 1985 that had been handed down in two three-hour workshops just... (laughs) Uh, audibly you know there was no truth in comedy there was no internet at the time to learn about improv so we did what we thought was Harold so when I moved to Chicago I had that experience but no like
0: practical training or anything was IO the first place you went in Chicago yeah
1: yeah it was basically the only place I ever studied I never studied at Second City uh, or Annoyance Um, I did take uh, a class with Jim Denon and Lauren Katz at the Piven in Evanston that right. was the only instruction I got other than IO, which was basically Sharna, Dell,
0: uh, you, Besser, uh, McKay and Ian. It's like I remember Craig was in actually the first class that I ever taught. a uh, lot of talented people in that class, and I remember being like, "All right, I'm going to be angry and <laughs> say, and say everything's not right and not know how to back it up." Uh, do you remember that? Well, uh, I don't remember you being angrier than usual,
1: uh, right? <laughs> no, I, you were I, about I, the right amount of angry for you.
0: I, I think what I remember, you know, for me, it was just it was just like, well, because back then, and people nowadays don't realize it, but, you know, back then there were no real notes. It was a lot of, that was pretty good, you know, D- do it again. Uh, and let's see if something better happens. Uh, but you never said that was a bad move. It was just, you know, an opportunity. Cutting something else with it. Uh, I remember Dell being so moved by Dell, like, "Wow, this guy gives fucking he gets on your ass if you do something you know he doesn't like." So I thought, "Well, I'm gonna be like that." Uh, so I remember like the first time I said oh, that was a bad move. Like, what? You can't say. It. I remember students coming up to me, "You can't say it's a bad move." I'm like, "But it was a bad move." Well, I mean, but the thing was, like, back then I didn't know how to say why. Right. Like, I just knew it was. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain yet why that is, but. That clearly was a bad move, uh, but yeah, some you you had enough ammunition to at least call him out on it. I, yeah, I was like, I was a bad. Move. I, I I always hated that. I've said this before on the podcast that the whole that there are no bad moves. And I was like, really? What are bad shows made of? You know, <laughs> a series of great moves, uh, a series of great opportunities that just didn't pan out. Uh, but you went because you were like you were like just behind me. I mean, I was. You were, like, maybe, what, a year behind me at the I.O. or yeah, something? Yeah,
1: but you don't know that at the time, you know, because when you start, the the guys that you see on stage are your heroes right away, and you don't know that they've been doing improv for three weeks longer than you were. Right. Because <laughs> you know, they look like geniuses right. already. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was Victim's Family was the team uh, when I first moved to Chicago that was the shit. There was two house teams, which was Victim's Family and Corky's Callback. Yeah, Favreau's team. Uh, John Favreau's team. and. Uh, The very first show I saw at I.O., those were the two teams. And at first, like, I I really liked Corky's callback uh, because I thought Favreau was hilarious. Uh, And then the family, like, I didn't quite get. Like, it just seemed like it went a little over my head. Uh, And I think in retrospect, it was kind of by, uh, in comparison, kind of a dud show for you guys. Uh, Or at least it was something that was a little more artsy than you would typically do.
0: I think we were also at that point probably still trying to figure it out. (laughs) yeah because uh, I, I i'm not even sure what version because at that point rick roman was still on it uh yeah. and some other people were probably on it well
1: it was definitely before flynn was on the team i think it was basically the classic lineup plus rick minus neil is okay. what i saw um and then maybe Dratch still played with you guys yeah she used to play sometimes um But I I think after I saw a couple of shows, I'm like, oh, Corky's Callback is kind of doing the same thing every week. And then the family, uh, it it took me a while to actually appreciate uh, what you guys were doing. And I I think to this day, I think until I see somebody like three times, you know, in performance, I really can't get a good
0: handle on what they can really do. Right. It's like I remember, like, because you went through pretty quickly, because back then things moved a little faster. I was on a team week three of level one. (laughs) There you go. Because, like, she needed warm bodies on stage right away. Right. Uh, But I remember you also sat in with the family pretty fast. Uh, I was, I think the first time I was ever reviewed in a newspaper was you. They
1: mixed us up, right? Well,
0: I I think it was a show where I actually wasn't even there, (laughs) and they just attributed everything you did to me. It was a good review. Yeah, it just—it just wasn't me at all. <laughs> and I was like, eh, "This is great. Why show up anymore?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> as long as a Miles type is doing the show, <laughs> as long as someone yeah. who vaguely looks like me is, is, is up there. <laughs> and then you get like your first team. Well, your first team wasn't Mister Blonde. Like, I remember you were on Mister Blonde. No, Mister Blonde was like my seventh team. All right, honestly, because. Uh, the
1: teams got mixed up very quickly back then. And th- there was also just... It was kind of a revolving door of, like, there were people from your level one who'd get put on a team and then they just stopped showing up for shows and you never saw them again, right. you know? Uh, it was... Uh, she had a real struggle of getting audiences, of course. Sharna, I'm talking about. And a, a lot of just like putting new people on teams with the idea of like, maybe they'll bring people. <laughs> right. Uh, so I, <clears throat> my first year, I moved through a lot of different teams uh, that were all unmemorable with a lot of people who never did improv again. Right. And uh, I actually, I got put on, uh, there was a new schedule. I got put on what was clearly the worst team. And I was like, oh, well, I guess it's not working out for me here. I'll just do this one show, and then that'll be it. Uh, and Adam McKay was my coach. Again, he had coached me on previous teams. And I think because I was so like relaxed and just didn't give a shit in that show, I had like the best show I ever had. And Adam said to Sharon, like, this guy needs to be on a better team. So they put me on Mr. Blonde, which was an already existing team.
0: But that team became like super solid.
1: Yeah, that, I was on that team for a couple years then.
0: Yeah, that was my first team that like, stayed together for a while. Now it's it's interesting to me because I remember you talk about the you know I think that the family was you know in in the history of improv was a was a thing right we 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 sort of broke the form and invented some new forms it was sort of a thing and I think you know out of that kind of came in a way like what the UCB wound up doing because that was of course members of the family moving in that direction and everyone kind of left and in the generation that sort of followed us and you were in that then I think there was a lot of like really it was funny it was it was a it it moved in a different direction there became a lot of more beautiful sort of slower work uh if you want to talk about that a little bit but moving in that direction sort of away from what we had done to like uh the the blue velvet lounge and eventually you know to quartet and trio and yeah,
1: oh, that's interesting. You remember the Blue Velvet Lounge. That was a really fun show. It was a show I directed with a group called Frank Booth, which was the Herald team that I coached for a couple of years,
0: and you ended up coaching them uh, or directed them in a show, right, at some point? I probably made up some show. <laughs> I think that, that wasn't that a, a therapy? Yes, therapy. Yes, yeah, therapy. <laughs> they,
1: did they have giant gloves and hit each other? No. Or like, was there a, like a... a Styrofoam bat.
0: There was thing a styrofoam styrofo- or like a Nerf bat that you could <laughs> hit someone with. Because that's what therapy is. It's just I mean, we, we, had a, we had a coffee machine on stage. You could have coffee and we'd talk about some audience member's problem and then we'd act it out on stage. <laughs> and we'd write down all the things we thought on like a chalkboard. And yeah. eventually, you could think, I think the audience member or someone could, could hit you with a bat or something. Yeah, it was what, a brilliant show.
1: Uh, Blue Velvet Lounge was uh, the first kind of non-Herald show uh, at the I.O. Cabaret space when the, the I.O. space on uh, Clark and Addison opened in '95, and there was uh, the Del Close Theater upstairs where we did the Armando and uh, other more theatrical shows, and the Herald's were downstairs in the Cabaret. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was a, a fantastic like Broadway and uh, lounge singer. And so, and uh, her roommate was a great piano player. And so they kind of like were in cocktail dress and tuxedo and they did uh, just classic torch songs. And then Frank Booth were member, sitting in the audience as members of the audience. And then a light would go up on a table and they'd have a little scene in reaction to the song that was just sung. And then Tara and John would then base their other song selections on stuff from the scenes. So it was kind of like a back and forth conversation between improv scenes and songs.
0: Right. It was a great show
1: and it was and I hosted the show, or I sat people in my tux uh, as Nick who's uh, ostensibly the owner of the theater uh, or the owner of the blue velvet lounge and uh and it was fun it was classy
0: it was I mean it was, I'm saying it was I think a lot of people like a lot of like guys on the family who basically left right i i I made the brilliant career choice to to, to stick it out for another thirty years uh, <laughs> So so they, they didn't really see a lot of what I thought was just a great work that followed us that was very different from what we had done. And that was one of those things. Uh, you talk about, I mean, were you involved in like the, you know, quartet, trio, that sort of that chain of shows? Uh,
1: Dassey is, uh, Bob Dassey uh, is really the one that I really credit for pushing that stuff. I think the first show that I really remember in that vein was a show called Naked that Rob Mello directed, which was Stephanie Weir and Jimmy Corrine, and their goal was to do an hour-long two-person scene. No cuts, uh, no other characters, just the two of them, and I think Mello always let it perversely go exactly an hour. Like, if they had the perfect out at 58, he would not take it out. Like, it was just gonna go exactly an hour, and that was it. Uh, And I'm sure there was other you know, long two-person shows at the time but I don't really that's the one I really remember and I think uh, Bob being in a relationship with Stephanie wanted to keep that kind of energy going and they formed a show called Trio with Rich Salarico then when Steph got mad TV and moved out here they had a space open in Trio uh, and then they asked me to join that group and that's what became Dasaryski which has been my main troupe
0: for the last 15 years or so right but again and yeah because Dasaryski to me is very similar uh to trio as far as the the style i suppose i mean it's, it's, it's of course as different as the players are different mm-hmm. uh but still i think that kind of style i just want to talk more because i i don't think it gets enough although you know I, know I know that those shows are received well i don't think it gets enough credit for the change in sort of direction or the sort of alternate or alternative direction of play that came out of chicago that those shows represent. Uh, I agree. I'd like to get <laughs> more credit for it. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's
1: cool to hear. Um, I think uh, the goal is, you know, uh, deep characters, deep relationships. Uh, you know, slow play I, I always think is kind of a misnomer um, Absolutely, because it's not like let's see what happens. You know, it's not you're le- like you're waiting around for things to happen. It just means probably less dialogue or less pressure on dialogue, and more of filling every available moment with behavior. So as long as there's behavior every second, there's something for the audience to watch, and there's many oper- there's many little games that you're juggling uh, in those scenes, but they're still kind of game based in a way. they they're just you've got character games you've got relationship games you've got situational games and you're juggling all those little things
0: you've got word play games whatever i, I think that the sort of the to address the misnomer is people think of slow play as like basically nothing's happening cuz i think when some people are do a 10 minute scene when you cuz you, you and i can remember back to the day like a 10 minute scene that's unheard of yeah it's like now it's like it's nothing yeah uh, but you do it... I, I have to do a long scene, so basically I won't do anything for a long time between saying things, as opposed to to me, slow play actually isn't slow. It's it's extremely fast in the way that it's efficient. a uh, way I describe it to students is like you, you watch TJ and Dave, right? Now someone might say, "Well, that's slow play." They do it's, two, it's a, at, at when they're first starting, would be like two characters for like an hour or something. They wouldn't do many scenes. I'm like, yes, but and I would say the same is true of Dazariski or Trio, which is that, yes, they're not doing a lot of scenes, but notice how every fucking line furthers something. Every, everything is the next good move as opposed to filler. There's no filler in those shows, which to me is extremely difficult to do. So I see it as sp- fast and not slow. I see it as extremely efficient. That's definitely
1: a goal... That uh, to just put a lot of thought into every choice you're making, uh, whether it's information you're adding via dialogue, uh, it's getting off the fence in terms of how you feel about things and who your character is. Uh, yeah, I'm making a lot of rapid fire decisions in those shows. With TJ and Dave, they almost perversely avoid exposition of any sort, of like they might finally get around to labeling something for the audience like 40 minutes into the show and gets a big laugh of the reveal. But I guarantee you that those guys know what they're doing all the time. They're just not saying it out loud, you know? So I I think sometimes people want to err on the side of, I think we all want to err on the side of subtlety because subtlety is, is cool and elegant. Um, But I think for students trying to learn from that and my class, I tell them to just get in the habit of labeling things as soon as possible and just making sure that you and your partner are on the same page and that you under- you're you seeing the same things at the same time and agreeing that they mean the same thing. Because then otherwise, you and your partner or partners are getting divergent scenes going on in your head that you're kind of playing simultaneously in front of an audience and nobody wants to see that. You want to see people who are on the same page.
0: Right. That, that, I was actually trying to justify something in my mind because I'm, I'm always trying to or I often have the eye like, well, how do I describe this to, to <clears throat> students? Uh, as far as, because I'm more, I come from the family, so I'm more speed-based. Uh, I, 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 I like to move faster as far as I like to get more and do more things. Uh, but I, I also, I say, be obvious. To me, if you're in a scene, the need to, to say something or to label something is determined by, is the question there? Like if you're wondering what it is, the audience is wondering what it is. So name it, get that out of the way. Don't be subtle about something that you don't know what it is, right? So in, in in, in one sense, be obvious. But in another sense, if you and your player and your partner both know what it is, right? Then maybe you can be more subtle with it. Yeah. Right, but if you don't, Say what the fuck it is.
1: Particularly when you're working with people you haven't worked with a lot. You know, I there's nothing or Bob can do on stage that would surprise me at this point. You know, mm-hmm. I pretty much know what they're going for at all times, which is handy to know. Um, but I tell students, like, this is exactly the thing that, that you just said. Just, like, don't allow yourself to be confused in your own scene. Of, like, think of how absurd that is. You're one of two people who has any knowledge of what's happening in this and you're confused, you know? So... I'm constantly confused when I improvise in like five second bursts. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure what that means. And then I label the thing <laughs> that's right. confusing me because then otherwise I'm going to pretend that I know what's
0: happening in my own scene when I don't. You know, And, and if you do that, I would I, I, I bet money sure as shit is like, I'm not going to label that your brain's gonna keep thinking about that damn thing you didn't label and your scene's Absolutely. gonna suffer because of it.
1: All those deferral, all those deferred decisions pile up in your head and then you just feel overwhelmed by all the things you haven't done yet or made a choice about yet. And there's just so many points, particularly early in a scene where it's like, well, it's this or this, I'm gonna say it's this. You know, you've gotta pick that path I could, right away. And, and I it's think either one, either one will work. Yeah, either one will work. Absolutely. I think students are so worried about the quality of choices rather than just deciding on a choice. And so that's why they like to keep their options open. It's like, well, let's see how this plays out and let's see which cho- which one of these choices will end up being better. Uh, and you just got to
0: go down that path. I'm going to throw out something. I, I say to students, just to see what you think of it. Uh, as far as like, because the notion of game and gameplay, I, I think it can be very many different things. One of the things I say, is if you have figured out the person you're supposed to play in the scene, you've figured out the scene. Yeah, I
1: would totally agree with that. Um, And I I think it's one of those things that people get hung up on the idea of conflict. Um, Usually when I talk about conflict, I'm just talking about improvisers not able to agree on what roles they're trying to play in the scene. Right. Uh, The least successful type of scene is a scene of two characters of equal status who both want to be right. Right. And it's it's better to know, of like, oh, I'm the asshole in this scene. <clears throat> I've got an incorrect point of view that I'm going to keep espousing. Or I'm the loser. I'm the vulnerable character. I allow myself to be walked over by this other character. You know right. It's a human thing to want to defend yourself. and <laughs> right, you know But it, you have to let go of that for comedy's sake. Yeah.
0: And at the same time, the term conflict can be confusing because what you just said... If they're at conflict, basically, with what the scene is, right? As opposed to, because to me, there's conflict in every comedic moment, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but that's a good conflict. It's like that something wrong is happening. Uh, it's not being at odds with what you're doing. You and I can be in a screaming
1: argument that is fun for us as improvisers to play because we know what right. points of view we're espousing. We know what the dynamic is between the characters, and we know that this argument is what's supposed to happen. You know, so there's no conflict there. Like yeah. the characters may be in conflict, but these improvisers sure aren't.
0: Yeah, that's that, that's where the agreement is. Yeah, right. Because, uh, but again, I, 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 I will agree to fight with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I, these two people would be fighting. That's what they would be doing. <laughs> yes. Uh, you look at Archie Bunker and Edith Bunker. It's like, yep, they're going to yell at each other. And I think that's another thing, which is, like,
1: they're an old married couple. Like, nothing's going to change between them. This is how it always is. And uh, I think that's something that we've just tried to do with Das and Quartet and other shows of that vein is just deep relationships. Nobody's trying to fix or change anything. And I think that's uh, where people get in trouble is they're trying to negotiate to a better relationship rather than just, just play the relationship that you're in. Don't try to change the other person's behavior. I, I know that if like, if their character has some behavior, that's annoying to you, you can allow yourself to be annoyed by it, right. but you can't change it. Cause if anything, what you're really saying is like, uh, Hey, Stop doing this thing that everybody's enjoying so much. Right. <laughs> you know, stop getting laughs
0: and uh, with your character trait. And communically, if it annoys me, I don't want to stop them. I want them to do it more yes. so I can continue to react and be annoyed by it. And that's the mark of a really great
1: improviser is how can you help your partner do the thing more rather than trying to squelch what right. they're doing? you know? Or how can you poke them? push their buttons, exploit things about their character? Or how can you create actions that are going to provoke their character in some way?
0: Right. I was a a pet peeve when I see students sometimes like someone, like say you're holding a pair of scissors and it's bothering me, right? And I take them away from you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, it's like great. The the thing you were doing it annoyed me. I just took away from you, and now you have to invent a new way to annoy me. It's, I should just I should just let you have the scissors and just continually gotten more and more annoyed by the fact that you still had those scissors. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I also tell students like if someone takes your scissors, you have a million pair of scissors off. The- <laughs> Absolutely. Just off to your right. Yeah. Uh, all right, then But I, again, I re- I really have so much respect for the, the work that you've been a part of in that generation that I would say followed the family. Uh, and I really don't think it gets enough. I mean, I, I know it, it does well, but I don't think it's, it gets enough attention or credit for, for its, its accomplishment and beauty. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, so <laughs> now you're doing TV. I'm just going to skip right. to I'm just going to skip to right, and and now you're on TV. Oh, well, let's let's see you. So you you come out of Chicago. W- w- when did you get out to LA? 2002. 2002. That's like a year after me. About right. Did we have the space by then? Uh, well, I just had this conversation with Thomas about this space. He's like, you know, this
1: is the old IO. I was like, oh uh, yeah. I think I saw one show here when I was visiting, but uh, the space on Ivar and Hollywood, where IO is now, was was already there when I moved out here. So. Uh, probably for about six or nine months, I would guess. So that became my home theater right away when when I moved out here. And you're teaching there now, right?
0: I still teach there. Uh, I'm just saying saying what's going on with with your improv career. You're doing shows with Daziriski. Yeah,
1: we have Daziriski once a week, or once a month at I.O., and the other Thursdays I do Quartet, which is me and Dassey and Gene Villapique and Jack McBrayer. So I always have a Thursday 9 o'clock show at I.O., uh, I do not do Armando very often anymore. Maybe once or twice a year. Uh, I have a duo with my wife, Carla, called Orange Tuxedo. We're starting to do more festivals just because it's easier for me to travel with my wife than try to get two other dudes in their mid forties uh, with careers and families uh, motivated to right. uh, to all do a festival together. So right.
0: uh, I can't. I just don't. I mean, I almost never because you know I'm fifty. I got two kids. Just like I'm not going to fucking somewhere (laughs) Uh, as it's not the the wife ain't having that yeah Uh, we have no kids we
1: just gotta get somebody to watch the dog and uh it's it's fun for carla because she hasn't done a lot of these festivals uh we got into cif this year we weren't able to do it because of my spectacular tv career uh
0: (laughs) so let's get to that spectacular sure i mean i mean you're you're on veep now right i am on four episodes of veep this season Right, which is great.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> it, it's a very small part, but uh, you'll see me in several episodes. Right, I've seen,
0: tra- I've seen you in the I've seen you like the trailers. For I this was in show. the trailer. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's really fun to do. It's interesting because I've I've had two things that have aired so far this year, and overwhelmingly, people are so excited about the Veep thing, and right. like I'm. I'm excited, you know, because it uh, it gave me another year of SAG health insurance, you know, of like it's four episodes on an HBO show, which is very lucrative. But I also did this other show, uh, Bajillion Dollar Properties for CISO, which is a streaming NBC comedy channel uh, that was did not pay very much. But I improvised for about six hours with the cast and then they're chopping it up and putting it in about seven episodes. So of like. Here's one thing that's like a really cool thing to be in—a critically acclaimed show right. that I love, that everybody watches, and you know, <laughs> recognizes me. And it's like, hey, you're in Veep. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Of like, I don't know if it really shows what I do, uh, and then I'm on bajillion-dollar properties with much fewer people will see. But of like, ah, the stuff that they have released, I'm pretty proud of it, and it like shows me off well, you know. So that's actually something that showcases me that I could put in a real Right. You know. So it's uh it's a weird business. But (laughs) yeah, sometimes.
0: And you're also doing uh
1: the Drunk History Show, right? I'm doing the Drunk History Show. Uh, we're shooting that right now, which is why I'm wearing a baseball cap. By the way, I would not normally disrespect uh a theater that much. Um, but my my hair just looks ridiculous. Yes, your hair looks ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) You can't Uh, see
0: me right now. My hair looks ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) For the podcast. For the podcast listener, yes. Yeah. For a Miles,
1: lo- Miles looks like a deranged uh, Aust- Austrian composer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Uh, but tell us about Drunk History.
1: Drunk History, we're uh, three but, days into season four at this point. So you
0: do a lot on that, right?
1: Yeah, I'm on every uh, day, every episode. Uh, just again playing bit parts, but it's really fun because, um, first of all. Uh, I'm every racist, misogynist, uh, or homophobe in history. Just like, I'm, I'm just a horrible middle-aged white guy. Uh, the good thing is there's so many of those people in history that they'll never run out of roles to, uh, to have for me. Uh, I get to show some range in that, you know, and they put different wigs and mustaches and beards on me every day, different wardrobes. So, uh, it's fun. It's like kind of playing dress up, uh, every day. And a lot of times I don't know the role that I'm going to play till the night before, you know, I'm leaving. They'll give me the call sheet for tomorrow. They'll be like, you're Abe Lincoln. Great. You know, (laughs) then I'll go home, look at the script, memorize the line and come in and shoot that. And, and then there's new guest stars, uh, Tomorrow, we're going to have uh, Taryn Killam, who's done the show multiple times, and uh, Josh Charles, um, who most people know from The Good Wife, but I remember as Knox Overstreet from Dead Poets Society. Yeah. So I'm excited to uh, to meet him.
0: That, that sounds great. Actually, I want to open up for questions before we end, because if, if you don't have a question for Craig, you shouldn't be studying this shit. <laughs> yes, yeah, right there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, wow. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Classic question, pimp, Miles. <laughs> um, what do you feel your favorite thing about teaching is? And do you think you'll ever stop even though you continue working? There? Uh, I, I do love teaching. I love teaching once a week. Like, that's perfect for my schedule right now. Uh, luckily, I, uh, I don't need to teach. Any more than that? Uh, I've had times where I've taught five or six times a week and uh, y- you start to get deja vu <laughs> where like you've like, I've told you guys this exercise before, right? Or you feel like you've given that note already and you start to go a little delirious. Um, and uh, I do a lot of just personal feedback for my students. I give them notes every week via email. I give them a breakdown of the exercises we did. So uh, the longer I teach the less dogmatic i am about improv because i've seen everything work and seen everything not work at this point so i'm really kind of i I think the exact thing you talked about when you started teaching was the same thing for me of just like i knew what was wrong you know and i gave a lot of also vague positive feedback but i think now i really know how to break down a scene and to identify uh positive and negative habits and uh and uh one thing I did take away from Sharna Halpern is uh, that students learn more from success than from failure. So uh, if you do have an adjustment to make mid scene of just like freeze, do more of that, you know, of like give people the, uh, the joy of, knowing what it feels like to have a successful scene, even if there was a little nudge from the teacher at that point, rather than have them do a five minute scene of just like, yeah, that sucked. And let me tell you why, (laughs) you know, if you have the power to give them success, uh, give them that. So I, I do enjoy that feeling of, uh, seeing that light go on in people's eyes still to this day, you know, and, uh, and to make them love the art form that I love so much. And I'm pretty, I've seen, Every mistake, and I've, I'm familiar with all the types of struggles that people have, so there's nothing that really fazes me. And I tell my students that, like, the worst thing that happens is you do a bad scene in front of me. Do you know how many bad improv scenes I've watched? Of Like, there's nothing you can do um, to uh, offend or, you know, annoy me in class. Um, though, as a side note, I think there are two things. <laughs> I do remember <laughs> two times in the last year where I've really gone off on a student, and these are the only two things that I think would really – pissed me off which uh, one thing was a guy trying to throw his partner under the bus for uh for a bad scene uh i started giving him notes and he was like yeah but he started doing it like uh, and and then i was like no no it's not about (laughs) he's like yeah but when he did that of like okay and then uh he kept protesting to the point where i was like you're not going to gain any points with me (laughs) by telling me the scene sucked because of what your partner did um And the other was just somebody who just flat out gave up on a scene. So, of like, effort is way more important than execution in improv. So, of like, those are the two things to me that I won't tolerate: is blaming it on your partner or giving
0: up. Right. Just funny. I'm listening. I'm imagining, Craig. Like, I I went off on this guy. (laughs) I said, "You will not gain points with me (laughs) (laughs) by throwing your partner under the bus." Yeah. I, forgive me for being so terse. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, sir. I'll take a cupcake and go back to your seat. Uh, what was your experience with the JTS Brown like, and
1: what did
2: you
1: from The JTS Brown was a form I directed in Chicago in the late 90s. Uh, and it was a, a cast of. Are you doing Nick's workshop now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was a cast of 12 people that uh, they were kind of like the up and comers at the time. Um, Jason Sudeikis and Ike Barinholtz were the two people founded the group. Um, And uh, there were a bunch of other great people in it, like Pete Gross, John Lutz, Christina Gausis, Sarah G, um, Ed Goodman. Um, And uh, they were just hungry and they wanted to get really good. uh, And they were willing to rehearse a lot without putting up a show. So we rehearsed this form for about three times a week for nine months before we put it up and it was a very kind of experimental um dreamlike form um and uh kind of artsy but also like it still needed to be based on good scene work so of, like all the things that I would apply to like a Dasarisky style show in terms of scene work I always said of like just because the form the packaging is weird your scenes should not be weird they should still be good scenes Um, but it was definitely uh, it's my the the proudest accomplishment as a director of improv definitely and then when I moved out to LA I taught it to uh, Night Terrors, which was a group that Nick Armstrong was in, which is why Nick uh, knows the form pretty well to this day. And I'm going to teach it at Nick's uh, summer camp at Yosemite uh, in August, which I'm really looking forward to because I haven't worked with the JTS Brown in a while. That's so Camp Improv Utopia, camp right? Camp Improv Utopia, yeah. Yosemite like division. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm just happy that the form is is still out there. And I think it's just one of the most freeing things that you can do you know and i kind of those are my two preferences as an improviser i like small casts uh you know long scenes long shows and i like big ass casts doing crazy ass shit <laughs> so those are kind of my two favorite things all right one, one more yes In L.A. in particular. Um, there's no real trends that I don't like. Uh, not not that <laughs> jumps. I like all trends. Uh, I'm just. it. It's amazing as long as I've been in it, which is 25 plus years at this point, just to see where it's grown. And in just reminiscing with Miles about uh, my early days in Chicago and how small it was and like. This was upstairs at a shitty bar, you know, on a shitty stage with maybe a few shitty audience members, you know, but this was like, you know, Adam McKay and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and, you know, uh, John Glazer and all these like well-known people. comedy people were up there performing for no one, but we did it because we loved it, you know, to see where it is today and to see how prevalent it is and to see how much there is of it in LA and how much people care about it. uh, And that people are still working hard at it. And it's also, uh, I'm happy that I'm still good (laughs) after all these years, you know? Uh, Cause I feel like in, in, when we were in our twenties, like you would occasionally see an improviser in their forties or fifties. They 50s, were no good. They were no good, you know, because you know they might have been good twenty years before, but yeah, they were, they were cl- probably never any good. <laughs> <laughs> But they were clearly rusty when they, like, they came back and did right. a set, and they were falling back on old habits. So, uh, the generation or two before me, like the jazz Freddy guys and the Family guys, were kind of the first generation that never stopped doing it at a, at the highest level. Uh, which means that now there's all these improvisers in their 40s or 50s who have the same chops, if not much better, than they had in their 20s. I think the thing that I don't have is the energy (laughs) that I had at that age, but I I know so much more about the art form. So I don't have the crazy highs that I used to have when I would have an amazing show when I was 24, You know, but I've eliminated all of the lows, which were crippling. (laughs) You know, so of like even a just eh, show is still at a pretty acceptable level. But probably I've cut out like the highest highs. But uh, I, I took your question, and just made it about me. But um, <laughs> I think uh, I'm really happy with the state of improv in L.A. and uh, and the work I'm seeing, too. And I think there's just a lot of good variety of it. And I, I like that there's a lot of indie improv and a, a lot of like self-starters of just like people who care enough about it to want to do it their way and not worry about uh having to adhere to a particular theater's way of doing it
0: yeah to 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 sort of address your question (laughs) which greg only kind of did there's only actually i would agree though i I think to pick at like well there's I, i can see different trends going on different things that seem to be happening more consistently i suppose uh but I wouldn't pick at that because that's just di- different people approaching something differently. One, I would say overall trend that I is is that people don't stay together. Mm. It's like like teams. There's so much opportunity that people don't commit to something long enough to actually improve uh, as a group because uh, there's nothing like getting better. Because to me, I learned most of what I know, uh, at least the base of it, from the team I played with. I didn't learn it from teachers. Right, I learned it from that team that I stuck with, and I think people need to do that more.
1: I'll, I'll agree with that. I think there's a point where people get to that level of competence where, like, people start to recognize your talent. It's like, hey, I got asked to be in this group, and this group, and this group. And I think it's okay for people to go through that phase of like, I'm in six groups, and I'm getting so much stage time, you know. But I think uh, there's diminishing returns on that after a while. And if and I I think. It's really because of Bob and Rich that I'm at the level that I'm at now because of the amount of time that I've spent playing with those guys and just helping each other elevate our games and meaning that we can we can go to just uh, untold depths <laughs> in a show because of our familiarity <laughs> with each other. And I think the audience responds to that level of familiarity and trust. And I think a lot of... Entertaining an audience, or at least making them feel comfortable during an improv show, is just feeling like that the players up there have everything taken care of. Uh, they're comfortable, they're confident, and they're going to take care of everything for you. And all you got to do is
0: sit there and watch it. All right, great. Uh, Let me and Craig do a set. And if you're hanging out for the set, which looks like y'all are. Thank you. I will be sitting center stage because I
3: got a horribly locked up back so I challenge Craig to surround me <laughs> I'll be moving around all over the place of course
0: thanks for coming out for this game What's going to happen now is me and Craig are going to do about 25 minutes of long form improvisation for you. And all we need to get us started is a suggestion of anything at all: formation. Formation. It's a large sturdy instrument. But you dropped your tuba and then, the, then the, the horn players tripped on it. The whole the, the whole YMCA fell apart.
4: <laughs> they don't
1: want to be a marching band anymore.
0: <laughs> I a, I paid a lot for that tuba. Instrument. How much is a lot? $4,000. $4, $4,000? That's
1: what I paid for that tuba. It's a good tuba. <laughs> I fucking suck at it, Dad.
3: <laughs> I know. I know you suck at it.
1: Why would you pick something I suck at? Spend so much money on.
0: I, I, I didn't intend... I, you said you wanted to play. you wanted to play the tuba. So I bought you a tuba. That's why I, I didn't say, oh, you're going to suck at that. Here, here's a $4,000 tuba. <laughs> that was like nine months ago. It's not Yes, Nine months
3: ago. So nine months in, we're quitting again. Is that it? It
1: was just because you were in band when you were a kid.
0: Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was in band. I didn't play the tuba.
4: I played the saxophone. <laughs> That's... Let me hear you on that horn, (laughs) Cat. You mean the Selmer Mark 6? (laughs) That's the same horn
0: Charlie Parker played. That's
3: a sweet-ass summer. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure you're not bird reincarnated?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm not. First chair. (laughs) yeah you gonna let me play first chair ain't a french horn supposed to be the first chair ain't that the way it works I don't give a shit how it works (laughs) in my band you're first chair that's right I was first chair in the orchestra I played french horn sections on the saxophone what? that
1: doesn't even make sense dad there's usually
4: a
3: first, there's a
1: first chair in every section. <laughs> but, there's
4: a,
0: but there's a first, first chair.
3: No. And that's the French no. horn. <laughs> what well, your band director probably meant is your first chair saxophone. That's probably what he meant. Well, I sat, I know, <laughs> I sat in the French horn section and I, I
0: had my fucking tenor out and I, I fucking blew and I was first chair. Well, I
1: couldn't get away with that, okay? The tubas are all put in the back. Because they're all fat kids. <laughs> <laughs> nope.
3: Why'd you pick the tuba? Why'd you want to be a tuba
0: player? Just because it goes real low. It does go low. It makes a good, a good bouncy low sound.
4: Yeah.
1: I want to create vibrations for my, my play. play? With my play. Oh. But I am in a play. You're, you're what? I audition for a play, all right? I'm going to be in our town.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, are you going to stick that out? Yes. All right, all right, everybody. Thanks for for coming, thanks for coming to the read. Yes, all right, yes. (laughs) All right, so today is our first day of rehearsal and I want everyone to, you know, just relax, no pressure here, we're just getting familiar with the script, alright? Alright, so, uh, why don't you start us off there, Stanley?
1: I'm Howie Newsom, here to deliver the morning paper. (laughs) All Alright,
2: that's...
3: (laughs) Did I do it wrong? Uh, It felt, it felt stiff. You said there's no wrong way to do it. No, I didn't say that.
2: <laughs> I,
3: didn't, I, I didn't say that. It was just my first time reading it.
2: All right. Well,
0: now that you've read it, let's 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 have some acting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's
0: do it. Let's do a little thing I like to call acting.
1: <laughs> okay. Same line. Yes. Same line. <laughs> I'm Howie Newsome. Here to the live in the morning paper.
0: <laughs> you said this, you did it the same way, you are
2: standing.
0: <laughs> you just standing, I mean, and now you're saying it like you're afraid. Well, I'm afraid of you. Can I use that? I'm not
3: there. <laughs>
0: I'm not in that reality.
2: <laughs>
3: I'm Howie Newsome. Here to the live in the morning paper. No, you're not.
2: <laughs>
3: I'm Howie Newsome. I'm here to deliver the morning paper. Why are you so angry right now? <laughs> I'm Howie Newsome, here to deliver the morning paper. Don't throw not script me.
0: That's not the morning paper.
3: <laughs> well, where do I get a paper? The props aren't ready yet.
0: This is going to be a long three weeks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to get used to Jeff's working methods,
0: sophomore. Thank you, Clarence. <laughs> All right, right, first, why don't you have a go with that line? Watch
4: this.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm Howie
1: Newsome. Of course you are.
2: <laughs>
3: and I'm here to deliver
0: the morning paper. Did you see that? He pulled the morning paper out of a delivery bag. Yeah. It just went like this. You didn't see it? You didn't see it in your Aren't mind? Did the same thing? When he did it, it became real. You did not do the same thing. I rolled in my script and handed it to you. You that was a prop. He just he just made it real by imagining it in his mind. You are something special. You are. You're saying that because he sucks up to you. Don't. I'm not saying it just because he sucks up to me. Well, that's part of it. It's part of it. It's also, he's brilliant.
1: Jeff's writing my college recommendation. Yes, I am.
0: Yes. (laughs) All right, all right.
2: (laughs) I'm
0: afraid We have no room for you in the play. But you cast me.
3: You cast me as Howie Newsom.
0: Yes, I did. And now I'm cutting you. Cutting you from the play. I don't believe you're Howie
4: Newsome. (laughs) Oh, God. I can't find anything I
3: belong to. I can't find anything I belong to. I want to be a part of something in this school so bad. <laughs> From the back of the theater,
0: mm-hmm. who, 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 who's back there? Who is that?
2: <laughs>
3: Dad, what are you doing here?
0: That was beautiful, son. That was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen.
4: Why aren't you at work?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted
0: to come see what my boy was doing. Oh. He's not going to play the tube anymore. I wanted, I wanted to see what he was doing. This is a closed rehearsal, pal. Yes, it's a closed <laughs> rehearsal. You're supposed, be, you're supposed to be sitting sitting back there, and, and, and I'm afraid you're. Well, you, you, I'm sure you saw. I just cut cut your son from from the play, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. We're gonna put up our own version of this play. What do you think about that, pencil neck? Yeah, I, I don't have a pencil.
3: Yeah, you do, you kind of have a pencil no, neck. No, I, I do
0: not have a pencil neck. I have a regular person's neck. <laughs> you start out of welcoming, and I, I, I challenge you, I challenge you to put up a bet, what's the name of this play again? A, you do remember
3: the name of the play? I,
0: busy! <laughs> I challenge you to put up a better
3: version of this play. Isn't it's it the our town. Story? Yes, it's our town.
0: <laughs> that's what the play we're putting up. Well, and we're going to put up our our town.
2: <laughs> that's, not
0: even, that's not even a play. We're putting up our town. And, but I tell you what. I tell you what, you sinister person in the shadows at the back of this theater. You, we'll, we'll put up both of our shows the same night and see whose is better. That seems fair. <laughs>
3: right.
0: Well, you'll need to find an entire cast. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that was a high-five moment. <laughs> All right, good. Come on, son. You come back here with me. We're leaving this place. <laughs> All right, son.
3: Uh,
1: you never stood up for me like that before. That guy was a prick.
2: <laughs>
1: he really is a prick. I mean, if he knows so much about theater, why is he directing a high school?
0: Yeah, we're, we're gonna make a stop by some old friends of mine.
2: <laughs>
0: old friends? Yeah, some old friends of mine. They don't do much anymore, but they used to. Now there's just all hanging out down at the VA Hall.
4: Army buddies? What's that? Army buddies? Yeah, some. <laughs> Navy buddies?
3: Mm. <laughs> I mean, who else is at the VA Hall? <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I did not even know you're a veteran. You never talk about it. I'm not a veteran. I'm not a veteran. Why
4: is it the VA hall?
0: The VA hall isn't just for veterans. Other people make use of the VA hall. They really shouldn't.
1: <laughs> it's the Veterans Administration Hall.
2: <laughs>
3: do you want to put up a better version of our Yes, time? I do. All right, well shut the hell up and let's go to the VA <laughs> hall. Well,
0: look who's here!
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's, that's my boy. Come on over here. I want, oh, oh, I want, oh, I want you to meet someone. Yeah, Stanley? This, <laughs> this is Lawrence
3: Olivier. <laughs> Come sit on my lap, boy! Where did you do the snap? Go ahead, go ahead. It just can't be Lawrence. It's OK. that? was good. Ah. Ah. Ah.
2: Ah. 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 Well, we'll
0: chip off the old block. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he ain't no horn player, but we need to put up a, a, a a throwdown version of our town.
3: Oh, a throwdown version. Yeah. Yes,
0: we're going up against the local high school. We challenge them. Ha <laughs> ha.
3: Yes, I once uh, took on a bunch of nurses to see who could put on a better production of Henry V. I remember that. I showed yeah. up. That's right. You, you took them nurses down hard. Who won? Olivier! Olivier won. <laughs> Tell me, child, what role are you essaying in this production? <laughs> um, I'm playing Howie Newsom, I deliver the morning paper. <laughs> there are no small parts. Only small, tiny actors. And that's life advice from Lawrence Olivier right there. Yes. You know what I did Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman? <laughs> 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 Stop me if you've heard this story anywhere before. Um... <laughs> He had to do a scene where he had to stay up all night. All and he right, stayed all up right. all night. All right, we know this story. you the never world. heard it told from the horse's mouth. All right. You never heard the real story from the man who was actually there. OK. So he stayed up all night to play this character who had stayed up all night. And when he showed up that morning on the set, eyes red, hair tousled. I'm going to play my horn while you tell this story. All right. <laughs> I said... (laughs) Why don't you try acting, my boy? Yeah, I think everyone knows that story. And it's
1: always told exactly the way you just told Ah. (laughs) it.
0: Speaking of the devil, here comes Justin Hoffman right now!
3: (laughs) Hey, what's going on, guys? (laughs) Lawrence was just telling the story again. <laughs> you son of a bitch, you son of a bitch with that story.
0: <laughs> why? Why would you tell that story? <laughs> We've all heard the story. We don't need to hear the story anymore. But thank you, Lawrence, for, for, for telling my son it. So he, he, you know, you stayed up all night and he said, why don't you just act? Yeah, it didn't, didn't happen exactly like that. Oh, we don't need to hear the story
3: again. <laughs> Look. I was trying to,
2: you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to actually
3: look like someone who'd been up all night. So, you know, I, I just tried to do it. And, uh, and I did. And I show up in this motherfucker. And it's like, why don't you try acting? I'm like, I'm trying acting. Like, I've already been
0: nominated for the graduate at this point. You know? How would you like to be in the throw throwdown production of our town? Pin! Oh. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. This is gonna be the greatest production ever, son. We're gonna beat the pants off. How do
1: school. you know these guys?
3: It's the A-Hall! Everybody hanging with the A-Hall.
4: Is that all we need? Just two people? I think you need a few more people than that. Hey, Woo! Marlon Brando. That's right, Marlon Brando. Marlon
0: Brando's hanging out with the A-Hall.
4: So you're doing a production of Our Town? It's a Throwdown production. Oh, pro- Throwdown production. We're going up against the, the high school. OK, so Throwdown, you got to bring a little more energy to it. And uh, just cut out all the parts that, uh, that aren't meaningful. You're going <laughs> right. to need a stage manager. You want to do that? You want to be the stage manager, Marlon Brando?
3: Yeah. All right, we got a stage manager. <laughs> yes. Wait, you mean the stage manager?
1: The, the person who narrates Our Town? Or literally the stage manager of the show? <laughs>
4: I want to be the stage manager of your show. I want to give you places. <laughs> All
0: right. So we got a stage manager. Who's the right. one, one week One week. One week. One week.
2: Yeah.
0: One week to places.
3: Yeah. <laughs> that. One week to places, son. What? Thank you. One week. Yeah. <laughs> That's what an actor says, my boy. You say thank you. All
0: right. <laughs> one week. Oh, wow, this is going to be the greatest production of town ever, son. We're definitely going to meet the high school. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, Lawrence Olivier, Marlon Randall is going to be our stage manager. Not the show. Do we, need a, we need a stage manager in the show, don't we? Yeah, he's going <laughs> to... Yes, he has to
3: be. <laughs> he has to be the narrator. The person who sets the tone of Grover's Corners. Where's that other guy always hangs out around here?
4: Sam Elliott, are
0: you? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Sam Elliott can be the, the, the stage manager in the show. Then you mean you want me to get places, goals? No, no, no. All yes. oh, that kind of. Brando's got that covered. We need someone to play this narrator in the show. Well, the stage manager in the show. I've never seen this show. <laughs> I gotta tell you the truth, son. I've never seen this play. I don't know this play
3: at all. You've never seen Thornton Wilder's Our Town? <laughs> no, I haven't. A classic seen it. of the American
0: theater? I'm embarrassed, son, to tell you this. I've, I've never seen Our Town.
1: That's all the more impressive that you stood up for me, then, Dad. <laughs>
0: Thanks, boy. But nonetheless, if, sac- if our town has a
3: saxophone player in it, I'm in. Huh? What would say, is there a saxophone player in our town? <laughs> Well, there's, there's a choir. Uh, I guess there could be a sax in the choir, maybe. <laughs> Choir's out, sax is in. <laughs>
0: it's the greatest production in our town ever. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember you playing a mean horn, Padre. Right? I still do. I, 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 I still do, Sam. All right. It's one. It's a little less than one week to places. So I guess we should. I should learn this play. <laughs> 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 I'll start practicing being a choir.
4: The rest of you, rehearse the play. Well, I, I already know it pretty darn well. All right then, let's just let's just do it
0: live. Let's just go in unrehearsed and just riff it. We'll riff our town. <clears throat> well, this town is uh, Rover's <laughs> Corners.
2: Over there's the
3: the Gibbs house, that's where Doc Gibbs and his family lives.
1: Over here is uh, the Webb house, that's where uh,
4: Mr. Webb who runs the the town paper lives, with his daughter uh, Emily. And uh, over there is uh, Mount (laughs) Monadnex. This is somewhere in New England.
1: That's all I remember for the most part.
4: (laughs) Sometimes.
0: And the production continued. Marlon Brando's stage managing was brilliant. There's a problem, I'll get on stage.
3: Olivier killed it, as most of the characters. (laughs) Oh! Oh, George Gibbs! Why are you marrying me? <laughs> oh, Emily Webb, why are you marrying me? We love each other so much.
0: And then in his first line ever delivered on stage, my son <laughs> came out and said it.
3: I'm Howie Newsome. <laughs> Here to deliver the morning paper. Fuck you, Jeff. <laughs>
0: That became a picture that was put on the cover of the Oak Leaves, which was the local paper in town. My son was a hero. He'd done it. The
4: other play didn't even put themselves up. After they saw our play, they, they left in shame. Yeah, I remember, Dad. I was there. It was
2: the greatest moment of my life.
0: And I'm going to keep telling that story over and over again. We
1: really won that play throwdown. We, we did. You did. You did.
3: You can get rid of that tuba. Oh, you want to play the tuba still? I wanted to do
1: a duet with you.
4: Mm. I'm not any better than I was last week, but... But I care more about Look, it now. If you can let me put on a production a production of Our Town, a play
0: that I embarrassingly have never fucking seen... <laughs> then you can do a... a, a tuba duet with me and my sax. proud of you, son. One,
1: two, one, two, three, four. boom, boom,
3: boom,
0: boom,
4: boom, 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 boom,
3: boom, boom, boom.
4: They played.
2: <laughs>
4: and it was beautiful. Nobody had ever heard a sound like that before. At least not around these parts. Well, sometimes there's a man. <laughs> well you just- what are do you doing? You're just doing lines from the movies you were in? <laughs> Even yeah, I wouldn't stoop to that level. <laughs> uh, Marlon, uh... Everyone thinks you're dead. That <laughs> fooled the world. <laughs> That's what
2: happened.
4: None uh-huh. of this warms my heart. You spent a lot of money on that too but... They sure did. It was a pricey piece of metal. Think we can uh, leave these guys alone? Give them their peace? Why? Why would we leave? Well, I mean, we're here.
0: <laughs> wow, that was, that, was, that was the best duet I've ever heard in my life. I never thought to do a duet with a tuba before, son. You sound great. All right. Let's never do that again. What? That was perfect. <laughs> You're that right. Was, that was perfect. I don't want to ever do that again. You're right. Let's leave it at that. What do you say, Sam Harlan? You up for some pancakes? Pancakes it is. Pancakes! (laughs) We're the most
3: famous actors in the world. Get to it, Olivier! Pancakes! Who wants (laughs) blueberries?
1: I'm not playing the stupid two, okay,
0: Dan? Mm. Well,
3: that's
1: that's fine. You don't have to play the tuba. Really? Yeah. Uh,
4: What happened? You want to wait for a second?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to play the tuba. I, 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 I kind of saw what was... I kind of thought about what might happen if you didn't play the tuba.
1: I'm going to make some pancakes if you want some.
0: Yeah, everybody likes pancakes.
3: Very proud of your boy there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A good job raising. I tried. T- tried my best. You no,
3: know, I died about 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for showing me what might happen if my boy if I made my boy play tuba. <laughs> yeah. What else are the ghosts of great actors here to do? <laughs> it's funny, cause some
3: of these guys aren't dead.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, close enough. <laughs>